Hi, my name is Brad Constantine, and this is a podcast of the New Testament. I'll be using as the text the King James Version, along with the Joseph Smith Translation. Although this is not an official recording of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, every effort's been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. I'll also be using quotes from general authorities of the Church, the Apostles and Prophets, and BYU professors and others, and uh, every word out of the Scriptures themselves. So if you're ready for a really detailed analysis of the New Testament, you've come to the right place. Welcome. Hi there, welcome back. We are going to be starting in the book of 1 Corinthians. This will be chapter 1. So as we begin a new book, I'm going to read a little introduction to the book of Corinthians, or the 1 Corinthians. Paul's epistle to the saints in Corinth. Corinth has been called the Las Vegas of the ancient world. It was a city of 250,000 citizens and another 400,000 slaves. 1 Corinthians 5 verse 9 indicates that he had already written an epistle to the saints in Corinth. This epistle is in response to specific questions asked as a result of his first letter. This epistle was written in the early summer of 57 AD. Then it appears he wrote another letter, which we also don't have, which was quite harsh to the saints and calling them to repentance. Many heeded his counsel and repented, which prompted him to write 2 Corinthians to express his love for the saints and his joy at their repentance. Unity is the main theme running through 1 Corinthians. So as you can see, this 1 Corinthians is actually 2 Corinthians, and 2 Corinthians should probably be more accurately labeled 4 Corinthians. Anyway, um, Elder McConkie said, One cannot learn the doctrine of eternal marriage by studying 1 Corinthians, for it is not there recorded. What one does find is an application of the doctrine to a special situation, which application cannot be understood without a prior knowledge of the doctrine itself. In addition to his personal knowledge and to these other documents unknown to us but available to him, Paul had received detailed oral reports about conditions in Corinth from members of the, of the household of Chloe. Here again we are without background information which would be most helpful in putting 1 Corinthians into its proper perspective. So as he talks about marriage, um, he's talking about something that they would have already known about, um, and so that's why we don't have the full thing here in 1 Corinthians. How quickly we can depart from the ordinances of the church without close supervision by church leaders. This is what it was happening to the saints in Corinth. The heading to the chapter reads, True saints are perfectly united in the same mind and in the same judgment. Preach the gospel and save souls. The gospel is preached by the weak and the simple. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle, called of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, a fellow member of the church. He was converted by Paul in Corinth, beaten for his conversion, and migrated to Ephesus seven years later when Paul wrote his epistle to the Corinthians. Under the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be a saint, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace be unto you, peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace was the Greek salutation, and peace was the Hebrew salutation, so that's why he's saying peace and salutation. This is both to Jew and Gentile. Verse 4, I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you of Jesus Christ, that in everything ye are enriched of him in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that ye come behind in no gift waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end that ye may be blameless in the last in the day of your Lord of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom ye were called unto the fellowship of his Son Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I beseech you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you. 
but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Doctrine and Covenants, uh, section 38, speaks about unity. It says, Again, I say unto you, let every man esteem his brother as himself, for what man among you, having twelve sons, and is no respecter of them, and they serve him obediently, and he saith unto the one, Be thou clothed in robes, and sit thou here. And to the other, Be thou clothed in rags, and sit thou here. And looketh upon his sons, and saith, I am dust. Behold, this I have given unto you as a parable, and it is even as I am. I say unto you, Be one, and if ye are not one, ye are not mine. The contentions and divisions among the members of the church had been manifested by the division into groups, each proclaiming their allegiance to Paul, Apollos, or Cephas. Among the faithful saints there is only one mind and one judgment, and these are the Lord's. Those with the full enjoyment of the Spirit learn the Lord's views on all things and conform their minds and hearts to, the, to His, becoming one with Him. Be one, and if ye are not mine, ye are, ye are, and if ye are not one, ye are not mine, is His everlasting decree to His saints. That was by Bridgetown McConkie. Verse 11, For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Oneness is at the very heart of the atonement, which literally means at one moment. Its transcendent purpose is to provide a means whereby mortals, utterly divided from their father by sin and mortality, can become one with him again. Through the atonement, maybe, may, through the atonement they are reconciled to their previous relationship at home with their father. The atonement is also the only means whereby people, divided by their selfish interests, can become united in a glorious relationship of harmony. If oneness is God's goal for us, then we can be certain that its very opposite is division, the grabbing territory and the self-protection, the dissension that is so often part of life and mortality. When Lucifer is on the loose, he scatters people and disintegrates relationships. That was by Maureen Proctor. Verse 12, Now this I say, that, that many of you saith, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were ye baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you, except Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I had baptized in mine own name. And I baptized also the household of Stephanus, besides. I know not whether I baptized any other, for Christ sent me not to baptize, not just to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. President Kimball taught, there is opportunity to get both secular and spiritual learning simultaneously. If we spend our mortal days in accumulating secular knowledge to the exclusion of the spiritual, then we are in a, in a dead-end street. For this is the time for man to prepare to meet God. This is the time for faith to be built, for baptism to be effected, for the Holy Ghost to be received, for the ordinances to be performed. Contemporary with this program can come the secular knowledge, for even in the spirit world, after death, our spirits can go on learning. Verse 22, For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them who believe, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The fact is that those who measure life only with the, with the intellect will always find the gospel of Christ ridiculous or foolish. 
The idea of angels and gold plates and revelation and healings and visions and prophets will bring an indulgent smirk to the faces of hard of hard-hearted, almost said hard-boiled, of hard-hearted intellectuals. Maybe that's never mind. These are those whom the Lord said in Moses chapter 6, their hearts have waxed hard and their ears are, are dull of hearing and their eyes cannot see afar off. That's by Ted Gibbons. Verse 26, for ye see your calling, brethren, how that ye how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, are chosen. For God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the, the things which are mighty. How is it that weak and untried persons have spiritual powers and understanding, which is often denied the learned and worldly wise? It is in large measure a matter of pre-existent preparation. Some people developed in the premortal spirit or the premortal life the talents to recognize truth comprehend spiritual things to receive revelation from the spirit others did not those so endowed spiritually were foreordained and sent to earth to serve at god's command as his ministers hence we find paul extolling the spiritual powers of the weak and simple and decrying the foolishness of the worldly of the worldly wise who seek religious preferment and status on the basis of intellectuality and persuasive powers in our day, the Lord has taken the same approach. I call upon the weak things of the world, those who are unlearned and despised to thrash the nations by the power of my spirit. To Joseph Smith, he said, I have raised you up that I might show you forth my wisdom through the weak things of the earth. Verse 28, And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are mighty. In the English of the 1600s, base meant lowly or humble. That no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. So that's the end of the chapter, and we'll see you next time. Bye.